Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at the Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. We will turn to John chapter 14 for the rest of us. And I struggled through first service last week because I have been in rebellion to the fact that I'm growing old. But I gave in second service and I put on my new glasses. So we're going to go for it. And I can see last week, first service, literally, I was like, what is that word? And somehow I almost got through it. But apparently I'm getting old. I don't really believe it, but let's turn to John chapter 14 with a title, a message entitled, Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. We are continuing in our series on the life and times of Jesus. And if you guys remember, when we left off last week, Jesus was having the Passover meal with his 11 disciples. And we spoke about the fact that as He Himself is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb and His death, He then now at this meal inaugurates something new. You guys remember that? This is something that we, the church, something new that Jesus is creating. He says, I will build my church. And this was something new that was now to be celebrated that came out of the Passover, but is now to be celebrated by the church. And that is communion or the Lord's Supper. And we spent all last week talking about communion and the Lord's Supper. This week, we talk about the fact that during this meal, as Jesus is sharing the the Passover meal with His disciples, He begins now to instruct His disciples. He begins to teach them as He goes through this meal. And in the case of this morning's text, He's attempting to encourage them and to comfort them. This section of Scripture from John chapter 14 to John chapter 17 is Jesus' instruction. It's often called the farewell discourse because these are the last words of Jesus to His disciples before the cross. We'll be in the farewell discourse for some time now, at least a couple of months, and you guys know what that means, at least about a year. It is incredibly rich though. I was planning on covering more than I'm going to cover until I started studying, and we're only going to cover the first three verses. It's incredibly, incredibly rich, as we would imagine Jesus' words as He's preparing His disciples before He goes to the cross would be. So let's begin with these first three verses. Now, I want you to keep your Bibles open to John 14, because we're going to reference some other stuff in that chapter, but we'll only be looking at the first three verses as our text. And the farewell discourse, as it begins here in John 14, is concerned about the disciples and their fear and their faith. And that's why Jesus says in verse 1, look at verse 1, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What we have to understand about this moment in time, for these disciples, 
the 11 that are left. Remember, we talked about the fact last week that Judas has left the room. He has gone off to the, the chief priest and he is now arranging for Jesus' arrest. But the world of these 11 disciples is about to be absolutely shattered. At this moment in time, as, as they sit in this upper room, there has to be now this great undercurrent of anxiety and confusion. And frankly, it's only going to get worse for them. There has to be this just kind of tension in the room because Jesus has already told them that He's going away and to where He's going, they cannot follow Him now. And Jesus has already told them multiple times of His death and suffering to come. And He has just told them right now as they're sitting there that one of their very own will betray Him to death. And that all the rest of them will be scattered. To which Peter says, Lord, with you I'm ready to both go to prison and to death. And Jesus says to Peter, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times. Denied even knowing me. And so Jesus is sitting there with Peter in all of his ambition and saying, Peter, you're not even going to make it through the night. We have to remember that these men have been with Jesus for over three years now and their entire lives are wrapped up in Jesus and every day they're with Him. What, what do they do? They get up in the morning, they don't know what they're going to do. Jesus, what are we going to do? Our entire life is you, Jesus. When somebody comes against us, you always have the right words to say to them. When we're faced with a hungry crowd, you, you just divide some bread and some fish and feed the whole lot of them. When somebody shows up and they're hurt or they're ill or they're crippled, Jesus just healed them. And now everything's about to change for these guys. In no more than two hours or so, their lives will be completely turned upside down. And that had to have caused for them great confusion, wouldn't you think? Great fear and anxiety. They're sitting there trying to celebrate this Passover, but they are inside themselves completely unsettled, not knowing what's about to come and what's going to happen. And in thinking about this and knowing some of what's going on in our church at this moment, for some of you, that's exactly what you feel like. Your life is in absolute turmoil. The way that things were, or, or the way that you'd hoped they had turned out or would turn out, has been completely now turned upside down. Life feels like it's in shambles, and you've, I don't know, some of you guys I know recently have lost jobs, having a hard time finding another one. For some of you, somebody that you trusted greatly has caused you enormous pain. Some of you have suffered a loss of a loved one that has your life in turmoil. Some of you are in desperate financial troubles right now. Others have re received diagnosis that seems incredibly bleak. And, and you're not sure what to do next. Where to go from here. 
And you can feel within yourself the very same emotions that these disciples feel in their uncertainty. But Jesus knew that their hearts were troubled. And that's why He begins His farewell discourse with those very words in verse 1. Look at verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in Me. Look at verse 27. He says it again. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not, not as the world gives do I give to you. And then He says it again. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Look at that terminology, church. Notice what he's saying there. Don't let. Don't allow it. Don't permit your heart to be troubled, but instead believe. What Jesus is saying is that we have a choice between fear and faith by telling us, don't let this happen to you. And the choice comes about depending on where we put our focus, right? Jesus is saying that these disciples, and it's true of us as well, will decide now. Don't let. You will decide between fear or you will decide between faith. By where you put your focus, whether you put it on your circumstances or whether you put it on the Lord. And church, that is a biblical reality that we see all throughout the Bible. That anxiety creeps in when we get our eyes off of Jesus and we fixate on our problem. Anybody ever been there? Where you take a problem, an issue, or something very difficult in your life and you allow it to consume you. And at a certain point, hopefully we come to the realization that somewhere along the way I let go of Jesus and I return to Him. Anxiety creeps in our lives when we get our eyes off of Jesus and we begin to fixate on our problem. Peter walked on water by faith until he took his eyes off of Jesus placed them on his surroundings, and became absolutely terrified. Right? The disciples, Peter, had gone out into a boat into the middle of the Sea of Galilee when a storm came up, and Jesus came to them in the storm, walking on the water. What does he say when he gets to the boat? What he says over and over again, do not be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if that's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. I love the fact that that just was in Peter's brain. Who just thinks that they can walk on water? Somebody with great faith. And it says, Jesus said, yes, Peter, come on. And Peter went over the side of the boat and he walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong winds and waves. When his eyes got off Jesus and they got enveloped in his circumstances, it says he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. But what does he say to him? You have so little faith. Why did you doubt? 
Anxiety creeps in when we get our eyes off of Jesus and we fixate on our problems. So Jesus' answer to the troubled heart is what? Faith. Trust. It says it very well in the Old Testament in Proverbs chapter 3 when it says this. Trust in the Lord with what? All of it. All of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding because that's usually what we do. As soon as traumatic things happen, what do we do? We start to figure out how we're going to fix the problem. It says don't do that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll make your path straight. Church, did, did you know, as we're talking about Jesus commanding us not to have a troubled heart and not be worried, that this is the most repeated command in the whole Bible? It's the most repeated command in the whole Bible. More often than any other command in the whole of the Bible, God is telling His people, don't worry, don't fear, don't be anxious, let not your heart be troubled. More often than any other command. That should tell us a little something about our tendency and our propensity to rush to fear and God's desire for us to have faith. It doesn't bode well, doesn't, reset, doesn't represent God well for His people to be a timid people when He is an almighty God. But i got to be honest with you, that I have found that though this is the most commanded thing in the whole of Scripture, just being commanded not to worry, it's not all that helpful, is it? For those of you on a very serious note, that are in the middle of your trauma right now, that you're going through a, a very difficult time in life, your life is in confusion, and you're not sure to do, what to do next, simply being commanded not to worry is not all that helpful, is it? If your world is being turned completely upside down, the last thing you want is somebody to walk up to you and say, hey, just don't worry about it. There had better be some substance behind that command. There had better be some answers and some reasons why my heart is not to be troubled. And of course, in Christ there are, are there not? In fact, in this whole farewell discourse, chapter 14 to 17, the whole thing are those very reasons. It's not just the command, but now he starts to unpack the reasons why we need not let our heart be troubled. The first one that Jesus tells us is in verse 2, and that's because our eternity is taken care of by Christ Himself. Look at verse 2. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. For I go to prepare a place for you. The first thing that Jesus says is that no matter what happens in this world, my forever, for those that belong to Him, that have surrendered their life to Him, is taken care of. That's that first point of comfort. Peter said it this way. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here's the important part. To obtain an inheritance. Now here's the characteristics of that inheritance, which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. And so the idea here is don't let your temporary circumstances and your sorrows and your confusion, don't let that take away the joy of knowing that your eternity is settled and secure in the person of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going away to take care of it. So Jesus begins here, first things first, and he removes then any fear of death for us, does he not? That should give us great confidence, great confidence to live this life with reckless abandonment. Jesus had at this point already told the disciples that they would be hated, that they would be persecuted, and that they would be put to death. You see, Jesus always tells the truth, doesn't He? He never held back. And He never holds back on the painful realities of life. He told them, your lives are going to be painful, boys. But rather, He comforted them and He encouraged them with knowing that their eternity was settled in Him. And later in this same farewell discourse, Jesus tells them, in this world you will have tribulation, But be of good cheer, I've overcome this world. You're going to be hated, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be put to death in this world. It's not going to be so great for you boys. But don't worry about it. Because I got you. For all eternity. And so Jesus is saying that at some level, knowing that our eternity is secure in Him should bring us peace now. Jesus says the same thing in a different way over in Luke chapter 12 when He says this. Again, the most repeated command. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. Why? Because Abba, your Father, your Heavenly Father, has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. You can see what Jesus is doing here. He's trying for the sake of these disciples and us as well. He's trying to keep us from fear by encouraging us in the outcome that I get to be in my Father's house forever. Right? Therefore, the disciple of Christ should have an eternal perspective. Right? We should have this constant eternal perspective that this is not my home. But what happens here, happens here, but this is not my home. The Apostle Paul got this well when he said in in, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's something that should be implanted in our hearts. Our citizenship is in heaven. This is not our home. 
But oftentimes, the reason that we get so down, the reason that things are so traumatic, the reason that that we get so discouraged and worried and disheartened in this life is because we seek to find our joy and our hope and our identity and our comfort and our security in the temporal, insecure, fleeting things of this world. Right? Oftentimes we look for our joy and our hope and our identity and our comfort and our security in other people or in our possessions or in a job that I have or even in ourselves. And when those things fail, as they eventually all do, we're let down and we're disheartened. Church, the whole of our identity should be in Christ. That's why for the disciple of Jesus, our joy should be in Jesus. Our hope should be in Jesus. Our identity should be in Him. Our comfort should be in Him. And our security should be in Him. Because everything in this world will let you down. People will let you down, your possessions will let you down, your job will let you down, and you yourselves will let yourself down at times. The Lord will never, ever, 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 ever let you down. That's exactly what it says in Hebrews 13, 5. For He Himself said, I'll never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. You see, that's why 1 Peter 1, 3 was so important that we've been born again into this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And our inheritance is what? It's imperishable, undefiled. It'll never fade away. It's reserved in heaven and it's held by the power of God. He'll never let us down. So an eternal perspective is essential for the disciple of Jesus. The Apostle Paul said it well when he said this in Colossians. He said, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above. That's incredibly important. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. And that's what Jesus is saying in our text. Look at verse 3. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you will be also. He says it again in verse 18. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. But what does he say? I will come to you. You see, the shift now focuses, the the focus of, of this thing now shifts from the place of heaven to the person of Christ. And he says, I will come for you. And so Jesus is assuring these disciples in that room on that night and us as well that there will be a day that those disciples and we alike will be with him forever. He is giving us his word. I will come for you. Apostle Paul spoke of that day in one of the most powerful scriptures in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said this, in a moment, In a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. 
For this perishable, this body, this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody better say amen. That should be incredibly encouraging to every one of us. And Scripture tells us over and over again, multiple places, that it is Christ Himself that will raise us up on that last day. That's powerful, yeah? But, while an eternal hope and an eternal perspective is incredible and incredibly important and we don't play it, downplay it at all. I know for a fact that for some of you sitting in this room right now, the glory of heaven and the return of Christ may feel like a long, long way away. And if you're going through it right now, and you're in the middle of your pain and sorrow right now, and if your world is being turned upside down right now, your question is, what do I do today? Right? I love the promises of heaven. And I long for the return of Jesus. But if you're going through it, you're going, how do I get through today? Where do I find strength right now? Because while that sounds great for then, pain is now. My uncertainty is now. My world is upside down now. Is there anything for me now? And Jesus answers that question here in the person of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 16. John 14, 16. He's going away, but He says this. I will ask the Father, and He will give you, important right here, He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not know Him, does not see Him, does not know Him, but you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. Look at verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, underline those words, Helper. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Flip over to chapter 16, verse 5. John 16, 5. Jesus says, But now I am going to Him who sent me. You say, I'm going away. And none of you ask me, where am I going? But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your hearts. Notice what he's saying. He's saying, right now, in this room, sorrow has filled your hearts. But look at verse 7. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Do you think that if Jesus took a poll in that room on that night, do you think it would be better if I stayed or if I left? Jesus says, it is to your advantage, boys, that I leave. Because if I go away, notice, the Helper will come to you. But if I don't go, He won't come. Now, 
that word that is translated helper there. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as our helper. That's the New American Standard Version. The King James says comforter. The NIV says counselor. The NLT says our advocate. Every one of those are absolutely perfectly accurate. The word in the Greek is parakletos. And it literally means another of the same kind. What Jesus just told his disciples is I'm going away, but there's another coming that is just like me. Now follow me for a second. Jesus had been the presence of God on earth, correct? But because Jesus took on the human form of a man, he was limited to one place at one time. But for the sake of the church worldwide, the Holy Spirit will be universal. He'll be everywhere. And that's why Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go so that the Holy Spirit comes and He's available to be all of those things. The helper, the comforter, the, the counselor, the completer, the advocate to everybody everywhere. Because the Holy Spirit is the presence of God now here. He's the presence of God in India. He's the presence of God in Africa. He's the presence of God everywhere. But the key to it, and this is what we can't miss. We're not going to do a whole thing on the Holy Spirit now, but we will before this text is done. The key to it is this. He is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And He is available to every one of us. He is the parakletos. He's exactly like Jesus in His essence, in His character, in His love, in His power, and yes, in His ability to bring us comfort. He is just like Jesus. But here's what I feel is so often missing. The Bible teaches in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, that we, the church, are to be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. It says that we are to be being filled with the Holy Spirit all the time. The Holy Spirit is the believer's source of power, strength, patience, and comfort in our trials. That's why it says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And I want to say this. In my opinion, in my humble opinion, this is the greatest area of neglect in the church today. I mean the church worldwide and possibly for us here at the mission. Our reliance on the Holy Spirit. Our sense of desperation for the Holy Spirit. And I think so often that comes about because it takes a submitting of ourselves. How do we become filled with the Holy Spirit? We submit ourselves to God and we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're not trying to do it ourselves, but we're trusting that God can do it through His Spirit in our lives. Have you ever seen a Spirit-filled believer go through something unbelievably traumatic? I have seen people melt down over issues that are almost nothing. And at the same time, seeing a Holy Spirit 
faith-filled believer face the most difficult thing in life. Because that's where the power is, church. That's where the strength is. Jesus said, I'm not leaving you as an orphan, but I'm going to send the helper to you. And he's going to be everything that you need if you're willing to submit your will to him and rely on him. The call of Scripture for the disciple in distress is to bring it all to God and trust Him. That's what Jesus says. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 4. He said, The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. What, what portion of your life are you to bring to God? All of it. Be anxious for how much? Nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And what happens when we do that? When we come, when we trust, when we rely on the comfort of the Holy Spirit, what happens? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. That's why I've walked into hospital rooms where people's lives are in absolute shambles. And they go, you know what? I feel such a peace right now. Life will never be the same for them again. I feel such a peace right now. Why? Because the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There is to be this trust that causes us to bring it all to Jesus, and this is the key to it, and leave it there. To trust that He knows best to trust that He has a greater plan, to trust in His goodness and in His love. And you know what makes that possible? Because trust has to be earned, doesn't it? You know what makes it possible for us to trust Jesus in our darkest of times, in the depth of our uncertainty, and when we look and we can't see or understand how this particular situation could possibly be okay, you know what makes it possible for us to trust Jesus and gives us assurance of His faithfulness? Church, let me tell you, it's the gospel. It's the cross. It's the fact that He loved us enough to leave heaven and come to earth to die for our sins. God Almighty did that. The one that created absolutely everything says, I will not abandon you to your sins, but I will come for you and I will rescue you. By His stripes, we are healed. He took our pain, our shame, our guilt, our sin. It was laid upon Him, and He was punished. That's why I know I can trust Him. Paul says it well in Romans 8 when he says this, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all. How? Will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who is the one that brings a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one that condemns? Jesus, Christ Jesus, is the one who died. Yes, rather, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who intercedes for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ that hung on that cross on that day? Who will separate us from that love? Will, will tribulation 
or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or, or a sword. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. How do we know he loves us? Through the cross, church. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor principality, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, displayed for us, demonstrated to us on the cross. I don't know what you're going through right now, but I know that Jesus is enough. I know that the power of the Holy Spirit is enough to overcome whatever you're facing at this moment in your life. And so today, as we start a time of worship, there will be people on either side of this room that want to pray for you. That's why they stand there every single week. We don't point them out every week, though we should. But they would be happy to pray for you. Whatever you're weighed down with, whatever's going on, in your life today. Come to Jesus. Bring it to Him and leave it there. And go to these people and get prayed for and, let, and ask them, specifically ask them, pray that I would be filled with the Holy Spirit right now because that's the only way I'm going to be able to make it through what I'm going through. But I believe and I trust what Jesus says when he says that I need not let my heart be troubled, that I just need to believe and trust in him. And I'm bringing it all to him and I'm leaving it there and I'm asking you to pray that I would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do that today. Take it all to him. Lord, we ask that you'd move right now. I know for a fact that there are people in this room, you know as well, that are carrying great pain. Recent hurts, long-time hurts, scary times. People that they have trusted have hurt them horribly. The life that they had set up for themselves is now in shambles. They fear for their children. They fear for their spouse. There's so much turmoil, pain in this world. But Lord, how amazing are you? that you and you alone have the ability to tell us not to let our heart be troubled because you're the one with the substance behind the command. You're the one that died on the cross. You're the one that loves us more than we could ever comprehend. And you alone are the one that has the power to remedy all things. So we come to you now, Jesus, and we lay all of our junk all of our pain, all of our sorrow, all of our fear, all of our anxiety at your feet. May we have now the boldness to stand for you, get prayed for where we need to be prayed for, and be released. May we worship you then. As you've heard our prayer, knowing that the God of creation, God of all power, and the God of all knowledge, will do what's best. Lord, we trust you. As a church, we trust you. And that trust is there because we can't always see the outcome. But we know, Lord, that you love us. 
And we know that because of your cross. Jesus, we ask you to move now in this room. Holy Spirit, come and minister now. In Jesus' name, amen.